Hallelujah. And everything, we come to you and we give to you thanks. And everything that we do in word or deed, we acknowledge you and we give to you thanks. Anybody thankful for what God has done in your life? Do you have a testimony? Praise God. He freed me from some things. Gave to me opportunity to stand in the sanctuary and magnify him and praise him. And we're certainly grateful and thankful for all of that. If you have your Bibles, why don't we stand together tonight? It's Tuesday night, and we have a theme around here. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor what the theme is for this year. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Might have caught some of you off guard, but hopefully uh, we're going to get some visualization of that. We're working on a few things so that we can keep that in the forefront of everybody's mind this year. The theme, if you didn't know, the theme is no empty chair. And a chair represents something that is created for somebody to fill up the space. And so the theme this year in our church is we want to fill up the space, whatever there is that needs to be done. We want to fill up the space. We don't want to leave anything empty. We want God to do a work that fills completely in every area. So if it's Sunday school, we want to fill it up. Amen. If it's the sanctuary, we want to fill it up. If it's young people, we want young people to be full of the Holy Ghost. If it's families, we want families to be full of the anointing of God. And so there's a lot of things that we can get involved in. And No Empty Chair is our theme this year. And so I'm wanting to provide a, a lesson here tonight that will talk about that endeavor and how important it is. And at the conclusion, I'm going to uh, tell you what God desires from us and then what God does. He inserts us into situations, and then uh, that is a true test of leadership, biblical leadership. And that's also coming at some point. But I think tonight is a, is a great foundational night. We've had a great, can you believe this? January is almost over in 2024. It goes by very, very fast. And, and so I'm thankful for everything that has happened this month in the month of January, all that's transpiring, the things that we're doing, some new initiatives. And I believe God is allowing us to be blessed by that. Amen. Praise God. It's good to see George here tonight. Amen. He received the Holy Ghost. On Sunday, we're thankful for that. Praise God. Amen. You never, never know. I went back and greeted him, and Brother Colby was talking to him. And Brother Colby met George some time ago at some event completely uh, separated from church and what have you. So he looked around, and he saw him in the house of God tonight. You never know who's going to be in the house of God. Hallelujah. It could be a surprise. Amen. And we're thankful for what God has richly done in his life, all the ministries that are involved. Last night, we had a great night of prayer and planning, and so we want to continue that through this year. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18. We'll read verses 18, 19, and 20. This is a commission that God has given to the church and each and every one of us. And for a few moments here tonight, I want to talk about the foundations of biblical leadership, biblical leadership, what that means, what it means for us this year and everything that we're trying to do. And so we'll launch that in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18. Amen. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. That phrase right there, 
That's in the King James, but in some other translations, it says, go ye therefore and make disciples. So make disciples or teach all nations, depending on how you render that. Teach all nations, I like that. It has to do with teaching, but make disciples is more uh, integrative in terms of what we are to do and how we are to do it. Baptizing them in the name, singular, of the Father. Jesus said, I've come in my Father's name. And of the Son, the name of the Son is Jesus. And of the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, I'm going to send my Spirit to you in my name. So baptize them in the name, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What a promise. It doesn't matter how bad things may look. Jesus is with us to the very, very end. Amen. Let's lift up our hands and let's thank the Lord together. Lord, we thank you for your word, the promise in your word. We ask that you would take this time together here tonight, that you would strengthen us, that you would commission us to do the work of God. We give to you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Can be seated. This is known as the Great Commission. There are some very, very poignant and valuable parts of leadership, and everything that I'm going to say to you here tonight is based on servant leadership, and there is a big difference. Many times in a church, people are volunteering their time based upon their understanding of what it means to be a servant and to be involved in leadership. They are not getting paid. They are doing it on their own free will, and so if you're going to have a powerful church, you're going to have to rely on people that catch the vision and understand what leadership is, and they understand the purpose of it, and they're connected to greater things, and they're involved in that work, and they get purpose out of that. And so it's everything I'm saying tonight is based on servant leadership. This is biblical leadership. There's a lot of leadership models that are amazing, that are fun to study, and we should always be looking for new avenues, new methodologies that might work and, and that, that might make us more effective. But this is talking about biblical leadership. And when you look at all of the leaders in the Bible, you can come up with a summary that each and every one of them maintained some of these elements. But the question I want to ask you here by way of introduction is that you should desire to be a servant leader. You are not off the hook because the scripture that we read here says that we all should be involved in the endeavor of making disciples. And that's not always easy work. <laughs> it's not always easy work because you're working with people that have a lot of difficulties and problems. But it's worth it when you see the miraculous things that God does in their life. Are you thankful here tonight that somebody did not give up on you when you first came to God and you brought all of your stuff and it looked abysmal and like there was no way you would ever get out of that, but somebody was praying for you, somebody was supporting you, somebody was reaching out to you, and you are who you are because somebody cared. Amen. And so that takes, that takes everybody. That takes everyone getting involved in servant leadership. And it takes initiative. Somebody seeing a need. And looking at that, taking a action to ad address that concern, it takes initiative. Everything that we do, we can be a leader. Tonight, during pre-service prayer, I heard a young man. I'm so excited because I believe that God has imparted a gift to him. He is a great 
he, he prays, and he is not ashamed, nor is he intimidated. And tonight, in pre-service prayer, if you didn't make it, pre-service prayer was powerful because there was a young man that stepped up and said, I'm not going to be intimidated, but I'm going to create, I'm going to take initiative, I'm going to create an atmosphere of prayer in the house of God. Amen. Praise God. Brother Nate Farrell, I appreciate you. I don't know where you are. Praise God. But he was here. And he was, I was hearing somebody pray, and I thought, who, who is that? And I peeked out of the corner, it's Brother Nate Fierro. Thank God for young people that are fired up, who are taking initiative. Amen. Amen. That, that helps. That, that helps make disciples when you create an atmosphere of worship. And when you take initiative like that, it impacts other people, and you end up having an influence that comes to bear on other people. And they join in and they contribute to the accomplishment of trying to reach the stated objective. Amen. I want to I get around somebody that wants revival. And the reason why is because they've taken initiative and there's an influence and it rubs off on me and it pulls me in to that influence and it betters me. Hallelujah. In whatever capacity that you can, get close to somebody that's excited about the things of God and the goodness of God. Your spirituality is going to be a whole lot better, and you're going to go to another dimension when you get around somebody that is positive, not negative, that is building up, not tearing down, that is encouraging, not depressing the situation, and that is moving toward the blessing and the favor of God. We need to clap our hands and thank God for people. Hallelujah, in the church that are fire starters. Hallelujah. Our leadership needs to be healthy, not unhealthy. And this passage of Scripture reveals that God calls people to himself and to community with others, and then he can declare his greatness through their work. And he can bring people from darkness into light. First Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9. Amen. This is all of us. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So biblical leadership is taking the initiative to influence people to grow in holiness and to passionately promote the extension of God's kingdom in the world. That is what God has called us to do, to take initiative in the world, to have influence, and to bring people into the goodness of God and the kingdom of God. That is our commission in everything that we do. And we want the kingdom of God to flourish and we want it to grow. And so you look through all of the scripture, you're going to find leader after leader that took initiative. You can look at just about any leader that you've come up with. David fighting Goliath. That is the, the easiest illustration. A young man comes to bring his brother's lunch. And there is a warfare that is happening and Goliath is breathing out threatenings. Nobody is taking the initiative. And David, though he is not an infantryman and he's not a part of the army, he's a shepherd boy when he shows 
shows up and he sees that there is an obstacle and a giant that is standing in the way and everybody else is running into their tents. David says, is there not a cause? Somebody should take some initiative. And so David steps up and says, I'll be the individual that takes the initiative. I can fight this giant. I fought a bear before. I fought a lion before. And God can deliver this man into my hands. They laughed at him. Now, anytime you're going to do leadership, you're going to have people that are going to laugh at you and mock you and scoff because they laughed at David. But David said, you just give me the ability to go out and take some initiative. He did, and there was an influence to the point where the nation said Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. The nation of Israel was better off because a young man took some initiative, had some influence, and the kingdom of God expanded. I'm coming to you tonight teaching. I know, here I go again. We're only supposed to be teaching, but God's looking for somebody to step up and say our world is mixed up and confused, but I'm going to step to the forefront and take some initiative and have some influence and see revival. Amen. You say, well, how does that work? That can work in every single service. Because when the anointing of God is moving, the kingdom of God is expanding, and so we can be leaders in every area of worship, ministry, and in service. This needs to be stated because it's important. God's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for some jars of clay that he can mold and shape. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. See, if we're perfect, we end up getting the praise and the adoration. <laughs> but if we're jars of clay, we recognize God is the one that is deserving of the praise. We are troubled on every side. Verse number 8, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. And so there's a certain profile that every servant leader has. Certainly if you look in the scripture, you're not going to find any of the leaders in the scripture who were perfect. And if you dig deep enough, you're going to find a history of major failures. And yet God didn't judge them on their failures. He judged them on what they could become. And thank God for that, because if that were not the case, none of us would be used in the kingdom of God. God wants us to become something. Making disciples is about becoming something, becoming better. Our world just wants to lower the bar to the lowest denominator and just say everybody's doing it, and that's carnal nature, and you just go with that. God's calling us to get out of that pit of despair and step up into another realm, an area of leadership and make disciples and help people become who God wants them to be. Thank God for that. We need to clap our hands and thank the Lord. Amen. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to strive to be better. And so the major questions that are always asked, who, why, and what, are found in this profile of leaders. Who is who we are becoming in our essential being. There is an essential being that we are trying to attain and achieve. We're striving for that. 
One person said, I, I've not become what I want to be. I'm still working on that. So tomorrow I want to be better than I am today. That's working toward our essential being. So that is the who. We must work on ourselves. We've got a personal walk with God. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean create your own theology. That's not what Paul was saying. He was not saying make up your own rules. That's more of a postmodern idea that is found in our culture today. But what he is saying is you've got a personal responsibility to align yourself to the Scripture, and that's going to take some personal work and effort on your part. And so that answers the who. The why is why am I taking this course of action? And that gets at the motives as to why I am doing it. Am I doing it for me? Am I doing it so that I can be seen of men? Do I like the adoration? Do I like all these benefits that come my way because I do a good work? Or am I doing it because I want to give God glory? And, and, and I want to champion the work of God. That is so what's powerful about a church is anything that happens, we cannot allow that to reside with us. We got we to gotta deflect that and say that was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. Amen. Every service that is powerful, that was the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. When people do amazing things for the work of God, it doesn't reside just with them, but we say it's the Lord doing and it's marvelous in our eye. We always give it back to him because our motive is right. So we're working on ourselves, and we're checking ourselves, making sure that our motives are right because it's about the goodness of God. And then the lastly, it's a what. And that has to do with a person pursuing a defined mission. We're on a mission. So this is a profile of every leader and you could, you could pick just about anyone out of the scripture. And there are some uh, interconnected things that are very, very important. If this is the year of no empty chair, well, in order for that to be the case, you have to have people that step into certain roles. And in our church, we have expanded ministries. We've expanded teams. We, we've, pu we've pulled people out of some stuff because they're involved in too many things. And so we've pulled them out because they're already plugged into somewhere else. And, and we've taken people and we've plugged them into ministries. If, if we're going to pursue a year of no empty chair, that means somebody has to fill those duties and those responsibilities. Amen. And so last night, Monday night, we were rearranging even some of our tribe leaders. That is a church that as it gets larger, it has to get smaller because you can get lost in the crowd. So we have different tribes and, and they're about 30 people and they're responsible for those people. How, how impacting was it to see that some people that came into our church several years ago are now stepping into the realm of becoming a tribe leader. This is what making disciples is all about. God can take somebody from horrible conditions and situations, bring them to the house of God, develop them, grow them, and then put them in leadership. I, I want to make sure that if there's an opportunity, I want to be involved in the work of God. Praise God. Don't get upset when somebody gets plugged in. Don't get upset when somebody gets plugged in because you didn't get plugged in. Praise God. We want to step up and say, whatever I can do, I want to take initiative. I want to have influence. I want to be involved. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. So that's, that's our theme. Our theme is no empty chair. And people have to fill that space. 
in order for us to grow, in order for us to expand. So there's some things that are important in every single one of these people's life. If you are going to become someone that is used of God in your essential being, you're going to have to work on that, and that is character. You're going to have to develop some character. Your moral constitution is embedded in a set of values, and so your values have to be right. If we look in the scripture, we can find Paul talking to Timothy and Titus, and I'll just read a, a few of these things. First Timothy chapter 3, you can read, there's 13 verses, and if you read either one of those, Titus or First and Second Timothy, you're going to see Paul talking a lot about the character of who he's putting in leadership. He says, this is a true saying, this is verse number 1 of chapter 3, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. He must be blameless, husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, Given, listen to all these requirements he's asking of leadership. Given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Verse 6, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. And he, he just goes on and on here. And what he's doing, he's plugging in here. He's talking about moral constitution. He's talking about character. And his philosophy of leadership centers on godly character and not around personality, role, temperament, or gifting. Why would that be? Our world immediately puts somebody up with talent, ability, gifting, temperament, because those are the things that become attractive. But Paul recognizes there's something more valuable than all of those things. What is more valuable is somebody that has good character. This answers the who of leadership. I want to become in my essential being what God wants me to be. And so that's going to require some work on my part. That's going to require some careful attention. And the reason why Paul recognizes this is so very valuable is because he recognized if the church is going to grow and it's going to have an impact over the course of generations. By the way, I mentioned tithes and offering and I mentioned generations and I mentioned giving and how you could see that through generations. And in my mind, I was thinking of the McAllisters that go all the way back to Libby McAllister. And if you track that down, that's like five generations. And last night, Sister Kathy told me that in her family, it's seven generations. That is, that went to this church, seven generations. We didn't thank God for that. That's awesome. <laughs> hey, and you know what also is awesome? If you're the first generation and you are here, praise God, you have an opportunity to set a generational, instead of a generational curse, you can set a generational blessing. <laughs> I'm, com I'm coming from a generational curse. My daddy was an alcoholic. My mother was addicted. But I'm in the house of God, and I'm establishing something here that's going to extend generationally. It's going to be the blessing of God and the favor of God. Brother Philip, the goodness of God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. I got off on a tangent there. Generational things. The reason why, let me get back to it. I just remembered. The reason why Paul recognizes that character is so valuable is because he recognizes character's long-lasting. 
You can have somebody that's very talented, but if they don't have character, it may not be long-lasting. If their temperament is gifted, their role, personality, those things not, don't necessarily mean longevity. But if there is somebody, a leader, somebody that is working on their essential being, and they're trying to produce godly character, and they're giving it careful attention to grow in godliness and to set a good example toward God, faith, love, toward their fellow man, integrity, self-worth. If they're working on those things, they are going to have some longevity and they're going to produce goodness. First Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7, but refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So Paul is saying character is something you've got to exercise yourself toward. And proven character is a refined product of testing. This is what makes you credible. When you go through some things and you go through some difficulties and you, you run into some hard knocks. They were having lunch and uh, somebody came by our table and we were talking to my daughter about life and things. And they said, yeah, life sometimes can bring you some hard knocks. Well, life is not always fair. And life's not always going to be a cup of tea. There are going to be difficulties that come your way. But if you can overcome and you can move through and you can still keep an attitude and a heart that is right and you don't get bitter and you don't get upset and you don't get sideways and all these things happen in your life. If you can maintain your balance and, and when people wrong you and things that don't go right but somehow you're still standing in the midst of the storm and you come out the other decide what it gives you is credibility and then people recognize hey wait a minute you've got a depth to you you've got a testimony to you and that gives you the ability to influence other people who may not have the same testimony thank God that God was with us in every difficulty and storm problems in life struggles in life but we maintained our balance and we're still here in the house of God we're not blaming God and we're not blaming other people, but we are lifting our hands and we're saying, thank God that you've given to me a testimony, something that is credible. Hallelujah. Sometimes God takes the very difficult things in our lives and he turns them around and he uses them for our good. So you can look at leaders in the scripture where character was something that was built in their life. Look at Nehemiah. He comes out of Babylonian captivity comes to Jerusalem, broken down walls, burned gates, determined enemies, Sanballat and Tobias trying to work against him, threats of physical violence, a demoralized workforce, internal dissension, and grave personal danger. And yet Nehemiah persevered. And because of that, he produced a credibility that we read about in the scripture. And we say, one of many, this man was an example of servant leadership. And you could talk about Moses, Joshua, David, Daniel, Peter, and John, Paul. And you can go on and on. Adversity honed these people into vessels of usefulness. I want to be used of God. I think that should be every single one of our prayer here tonight. I don't think, I don't think anybody in here would say, not me. <laughs> I'll just keep my hand down. I don't want to be involved in anything. We can. We can't say that because we read the Great Commission that said we are to make disciples. That is a commission. That is, that, that is a command. It's not an option. So each and every one of us are commissioned to be involved in the work of God. So 
that's part of the profile. And that is me working on my essential being, producing character in my life that produces credibility in the endeavor to try to take some initiative, have some influence, and further the kingdom of God. This is what all of us are doing. So that, that is the who. Now, the second part of that, the question is why, is the motives. Why am I doing what I am doing? And we've seen people, sometimes ego gets in the way, and we have to humble ourselves and recognize this is not about padding my resume. It's not about me receiving glory. It's about God receiving glory because ultimately the kingdom of God is not about me, but it's about the work of God. Amen. I can't get my selfish motivations in the way because it's going to keep me from being a servant leader. You let pride and arrogancy get in the way and you will do damage to ministry instead of furthering ministry, right? <laughs> and so I got to make sure that my motives are right. In the Old Testament, you can see leaders that defended God's honor. And in the Old Testament, that's, that's pretty much everything that it was. Moses, when he comes to God and he intercedes on the behalf of the children of Israel, when they're worshiping around the golden calf, he's bringing the word of God down. He hears all this celebration. He sees this. He throws the tablets down. He's upset, and, and, and God's upset. And, and so God tells him, I'll carve out another people for you. Moses intercedes. And his prayer and intercession is basically, God, you can't do this because you brought us out of Egypt. And what would they say? And so he starts defending God's honor. So in the Old Testament, the motivation was defending God's honor. The ethos changes in the New Testament. We don't take up weaponry. We're not fighting physically like in the Old Testament, but we are fighting a spiritual battle. And, and if you're not clear on that, let me just make that clear. If you are in the world today and you're wanting to live for God, you're going to fight some spiritual battles. There are going to be some nasty spirits that rise up against you and try to take you out because the devil wants to kill, rob, steal, and destroy. Praise God. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I know I'm in a battle. I know I'm in a struggle. I'm not picking up physical weapons, but I am praying, and I am worshiping, and praise is my weapon, and I'm going to give God praise in the midst of the battle. Hallelujah. Praise God. Somebody just let out a shout here tonight. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. I was just, the uh, last couple times, I was just testing to see whether or not you got the idea of why we do this, and there's a power there. Anytime we do this, it's like charge. We're charging hell with worship and praise, right? And I like that. We don't want this to become some tool of just, you know, ridiculous fascination. It needs to mean something. Hallelujah. So when we hit that thing, that means let's, let's rally. Praise God. Let's come together and lift up our voice and let's take the walls down with a, with a shout. Hallelujah. A victory. Amen. Praise God. So the ethos, though, in the New Testament becomes not a physical thing. It becomes an internal thing. And we see this displayed in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon of the Mount when he says things like, you have heard that it was said of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery because that was the old ethos. But the new ethos, Jesus said, is you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he, he, he penetrates into the heart and the motivation of individuals that goes beyond um, the Old Testament understanding and it becomes an internal thing where God deals with us 
in terms of our heart and our real motivation. And a lot of times the only people that really know that unless there are things that, that become very, very clear publicly is it's between you and God. Our motivations are between us and God. We see an example of this in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus is talking about giving. He said, don't be like the hypocrites because they give that they may have glory of men. And he says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your alms in secret. He says the same thing about prayer. They want to pray on the street so that they can be heard and seen of men. And so Jesus' ethos in the New Testament in terms of the why am I doing what I'm doing, the motivation is it has to be an internal thing. God is doing a deep work on the inside of me. There's some introspection, and I'm really looking at the hidden motivations in my life, and I want to have ruthless honesty. The psalmist said in Psalm 19, verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, the meditations of my heart. God, you know because you are omnipotent, you see all things. And sometimes we can mask what we really feel, and, 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 and we, can, we can put up a facade, but God can see right through that. This is another reason why you don't ever give up on somebody. doesn't matter how rough they look. It doesn't matter what kind of vibes they're giving off. God knows exactly where they are, and he can penetrate into the heart, and he can read, if you will, someone's mail. And so don't ever give up. Keep praying. Keep trusting God. Keep believing God that God is making a way even though we don't see it. Even though we don't see it. In Psalm 139, verse 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. So the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm working on myself. This is, this is the who part profile of servant lead, leadership. I know why I, I'm doing it because of I've got the right motivation. And then the what? I've got to have a defined mission. This is servant leadership. Every, every, every leader that you can find. Uh, Nehemiah had to work on himself. He was in captivity, Babylonian captivity. Imagine that. And he's got to carve out. Here he is trying to live for God in captivity. So he works on himself, and his motivation is to go from Babylon back into Jerusalem, rebuild the walls. And so he's, he's got a right motivation, a struggle, and then he knows what his mission is. His mission is to rebuild the walls no matter what obstacles are in his way. So there has to be something that is personal as to me working on my essential being, my motivation, which is the why? And then what am, I, what am I doing? What mission am I involved in? And this has to do with the mission of God. God is trying to create within each and every one of us the ability for us to have a divine mission. The kingdom of God is at hand. He said in his ministry, he picks out 12 men and he, he does a work of ministry he ushers in the kingdom of God. He establishes the church, and he calls us into that mission, that divine mission. 
What are we doing? It's clearly identified. Some people say to us, you know, you guys talk a lot about the new birth. You're talking about repentance. You're talking about baptism in Jesus' name. You're talking about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And you hit on that just about every service. There's more in the Bible than just that. You're right. There absolutely is. But our divine mission is connected to that new birth experience. And so it needs to be communicated often because that is the what we are doing. We want to see the kingdom of God expand. And if the kingdom of God is going to expand, somebody is going to have to repent of their sins. Praise God. Somebody's going to have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Somebody needs to be baptized in Jesus' name and call on a name that is above every name. Somebody needs to infilling of the Holy Ghost that transforms their life. That's the divine mission. That's the divine mission. And, and that's what we are called to do. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, the scripture said, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. He's talking about a new birth experience. Amen. We read Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18 through 20, where he gave them the commission to go out, make disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, Nicodemus asked, how do I enter into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, except the man is born of the water and of the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, well, that's crazy. I enter into my mother's womb the second time. Jesus wasn't talking about entering into the womb a second time. He was talking about the infilling of the Holy Ghost, and he was talking about water baptism. Jesus reiterates that in Matthew 28, 19, when he's talking about going and baptizing. In Acts, he says there is power that is coming when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 2, they're in an upper room. They're waiting for the promise of the Father, which Jesus told them to wait for. The Holy Ghost falls, and all of a sudden, the divine mission of God becomes very clear to the disciples at this point. He's calling us to a mission to go out and preach. There is a transformation that can take place in a person's life. I want to testify to you today and tonight that the same mission is our responsibility to say to a world there is a transformation that can take you out of your dysfunction, turn things around in your life, remove the sin that is plaguing you from the very moment that you were born and give you an opportunity of freedom and liberty that only comes from the power of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Praise God. I think it'd be good to clap our hands and thank the Lord for that. <clears throat> Servant leaders are not visionaries who devise a brilliant plan, then by personal charisma draw others to fulfill those ambitions. That's not what a servant leader is. A servant leader is a faithful steward of that divine mandate to go out, fish and feed, evangelize the lost, edify the saved, and establish vital churches. And they've got a razor-sharp focus. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That is the what. I'm working on myself. My motives are right. That's the why. And the what is I'm doing the work of God. I'm reaching out qualitatively, holiness of character, quantitatively, expansion to other frontiers. 
This is a good point right here. Let me say that again. That might have went right over your head. It's the work of God and everything that we're talking about in every servant leader is qualitative holiness of character, working on myself, quantitative, expanding to frontiers, expanding, uh, pushing the boundaries and the borders and drawing more people in. And here's what is important. You, you cannot expand territory if you don't have qualitative character. You're only going to grow as good as the leaders in your church. That's why I'm talking about leadership here tonight. If we're going to expand the kingdom, you can't expand quantitatively if you don't have quality in leadership. God is calling each and every one of us to leadership. I wish everybody would walk in this building with an attitude, I am a leader, I am a royal priesthood, I am responsible for every guest. I'm responsible for a move of God. I'm responsible for Bible studies. I'm responsible to create an atmosphere through prayer. Amen. You're only, you're only going to expand the kingdom based on the quality of the leadership. And the quality of the leadership has to do with the character in each individual and the understanding of why you're doing what you're doing to get involved in the what, which is expanding the kingdom. You can't do it. You can't expand the kingdom with no character. Praise God. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. Praise God. That's why each and every one of us needs to thrust ourselves into making disciples. Amen. I'm quickly coming to a conclusion here tonight, but that is a major point. You, you can't build anything on weakness. And this, this, is, this is where it gets, leadership can get real, real interesting. You can't build something and expect it to be powerful if it's being built on weakness. You, you have to operate from strength. Sometimes people want to be used. I want to do this. I want to do that. Okay, but it, and it, you have to have wisdom, and you have to have some diplomacy when you're talking to them, but you're just not quite ready to do that. And the reason why you're not ready to do that is because you're not managing things in your life very well. And so for us to put you in a place of leadership that needs strength, it, it, it would undercut what we're trying to do. <laughs> and there is a difference between the platform and the pew. If you're on the platform, you need to be full of the Holy Ghost. If you're struggling on the platform, you need to take yourself out of the platform because the platform is so very, very important to influence the move of God that is happening. Everything that we do up here is to give God glory. And so if, if I'm hamstrung and I can't really do what I need to do, I need to get back down on the floor and say, God, I need to work on some things. Touch my heart. Let my motivations be right. Let me do some introspection because I want to be right and I want to be used of God. God. Hallelujah. Sometimes we want to save face. We don't want anybody to know. We want to kind of cover. And that can be a problem because if leadership doesn't know what you're going through, but other people know what you're going through, then there's confusion out there. And people out there are wondering if people up here know what's going on up there. And that's where sometimes church just doesn't take off like it needs to because there's confusion. We don't want any confusion. What we want is a move of God's spirit and ability. <laughs> Hallelujah. Where people can break through and break out. Hallelujah. Where the Holy Ghost can fall down and God can do great things. And so this last part is a clearly defined mission. 
And in the scripture, there was a clearly defined mission. We can look at Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 17. He said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. There were some in the church, and you had one group saying, I'm baptized of Paul, I'm baptized of uh, uh, different people and what have you. And, and, and Paul wasn't, his, his point was, I, I'm not here just for the sake of, of saying, I baptize somebody. I'm here to make disciples. God has called me to a greater purpose. I'm here to preach the gospel. And making disciples takes some leadership, and it takes some work. I want you to think just for a minute. Have you had any connection with anybody? It could have been something small, but you took some leadership. You stepped up. You had, you had a connection with them. You supported them. You prayed for them. Maybe you were not the person that invited them to the house of God, but you made a connection with them in other ways. That's leadership, and that's part of making disciples. There's a lot of people that will, will baptize somebody and then kind of notch their gun belt as if they've done something great, but where are they? Where are they? And I, I, I'm even a little hesitant when people talk about great revivals and all the people that come in. I, mean, I don't want to be jaded. I want to celebrate and thank God for that. But I want to ask the question, how many were retained? Because if you have 100 people that receive the Holy Ghost and come in and God's doing great things, but you don't keep them or retain them, you're not doing the job of making disciples. Hallelujah. Do you believe we could have a 100-soul revival here at GBFPC? I do, but with one caveat. If we're going to have a 100-soul revival here at GBFPC, there's going to have to be the amount of people and leaders to make disciples to make that happen. Otherwise, it's going to be of no effect. However God wants to bless us, we need to be ready. I said we need to be ready. God, make me a leader. Let me work on my leadership right. Because when it comes, I want to be available to do the work of God. Foundations of, of biblical leadership, servant leadership, is those answering those, those three things. And so let me just summarize that. Who I am as a servant leader means I need to work at my essential being. I need to, I need to work on my character. That's who I am. Why I am doing it? Why am I a leader and why am I being involved it's because I've got the right motivation, and I'm motivated to do a work. I'm taking initiative because I want to do a work for God. There are young people who have been teaching Bible studies. That's, that's phenomenal. Ray Lynn was baptized in cold water Sunday night, and she had a Bible study. Somebody gave her a Bible study. That, that's, that's awesome. And, and we want to see that continue to happen. My motivation is I want to be used of God. 238, the whole thrust of the entire youth conference was be motivated to do the work of God. And, and put a Bible study in your hand and, 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 and trust God. God's going to lead you. And, and we need we, no empty chair. No empty chair. We need to keep that this entire year. If you taught a Bible study, we want to celebrate with you. That's awesome. Did you know that in Elements on Friday night, the last couple of Friday nights, there have been 40 people in Elements. Praise God. That's fantastic. We're creating another service on Friday night. There's so many people on Friday night, they can't even hear the person teaching. So I don't know. We may have to get one of those tour guide things where you got this, you know, this, 
and you're talking into it. And you can't <laughs> Everybody put on headsets. Uh, that's a good problem to have. Why? Somebody's motivated to do the work of God. And when people get motivated to do the work of God, it has an influence. Now everybody wants to be involved in the work of God because it's exciting. Amen. So that's the who, that's the why, and then making sure that we have a divine agenda. We know exactly what we're doing. And that has to do with our doctrine. So these are things that we all work on, and this is what makes us a good leader, a good leader. And then, I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a challenge. I want to be a servant leader like you can read in the Scripture. They were not perfect, but God used their imperfections, and he made them perfect in him, and he did amazing things. And I believe this church can do amazing things in this community. I think he already is doing amazing things. And not only that, he's done amazing things since 1943. There have been amazing things that have gone out under the leadership of Brother Terry, Brother Frost, that have not just impacted this local community, but it has impacted the entire world. And I, I believe that's, that's, that's going to continue. Amen. I talked to my son. Actually, I didn't talk to him. It was actually Sister London that just sent a little text message. Said, said, keep praying for us. Amazing things are happening. Peyton has taught. We have taught together seven Bible studies since Saturday. We just keep running into people hungry for God. I said, well, like who? Well, like a churro lady that moved from Colombia to Mexico for a better life. If she's moving from Colombia to Mexico for a better life, imagine what it must like be like in Colombia. And so selling churros, Bible study. The same Bible study that was given at 238, it works. It works. So young people, be motivated. Adults, let, let's, let's look for opportunities. If you've got, you got the opportunity, praise God. And all you have to do is read it. God, God is going to provide opportunities for that. And so you're, you're, you're motivated. And so you're working on all these things, right? And, and you're saying, I'm ready to be used in leadership. Actually, I think we all need to say that. You need to hold your right hand up like this. The swearing-in ceremony. <laughs> and you need to say with me, I am a leader. I'm a leader. I'm a leader. I'm working on that. And so if you're a leader, that means you need to be plugged into a work so that you can have influence and you're taking initiative. And then you get all that figured out, right? You're working on yourself, you've got the right motives, and you know exactly what your mission is to do the work of God. And then, this is the last statement I'll make, God puts you on a team. And then everything that you've been working on gets tested. Right? Because you're working with other people. And sometimes other people can rub off some of the rough edges in your life. And so we're going to talk about that teamwork stuff in two weeks on a connection night. It's going to be a, another discussion about how to be an effective team leader. If we're going to have revival, we've got to work with each other. And, and it can't be about us, and sometimes we're going to run into bumps in the road. I call them bumps in the road. If you're not having problems, this is a good point, 850, I'm, I'm finished. If you're not having problems and running into bumps in the road, you're not growing. 
So don't get too discouraged when, well, we're having some issues here. That's, that's okay. That's because we're growing. That means something. That means that we're expanding, and, 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 and we're going to move through this, and we're going to grow, and then that grow. I mean, look at the church. The early church had a problem because the disciples said, we can't, we can't, we need some uh, men of good report that can take care of the widows and, and some of the business of the church because we need to be about prayer and preaching the gospel. They had some problems. They had some growth problems. And so if we've got some growth problems, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And so here I am. I'm developing all this stuff to be a leader, and then God puts me on a team. And now I've got to figure out how to, how to work with that. Some of the worst situations I've ever been in, not in church, but some of the worst situations I've been in on an educational level, being a part of a team where somebody either doesn't want to do anything or they want to control everything. And so, man, it can. We don't need that in the church because God's creating us to be good leaders and, and, and we're going to be effective members of the team so that we can grow. You know, this is really good stuff. I mean, this is really, really good stuff. Sometimes people get so disenfranchised and marginalized. It has nothing to do with doctrine. Uh, a lot of times it has to do with interpersonal conflicts. And something can happen, you know. Families have children. The children get into a fight. And the children, uh, they make up, and they're all good, right? But the family's still upset at each other, and there's a lot of resentment. I'm using, just using that as an example. Uh, it's interpersonal conflict. Sometimes it can become major, major problems in a church. God wants us to be great leaders, and he wants us to be great team players so that we can grow. And I'm thankful for each and every one of you because you have stated emphatically here in this place, every single one of you, that you are a leader. And in fact, that is what God has called us to be. He has called us to make disciples, and he's given to us a commission. Let's stand to our feet here tonight, and let's pray in conclusion that God will help us in our endeavors in the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you and praise you. We love you and magnify your great name. And know that you're a God that is willing to do great things depending on how well we are versed in receiving it. I want to receive the very best that you can pour out on us. Amen. So we offer ourselves to you. We want to be used of you. We speak your name because everything that we're supposed to do is in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Greet somebody close to you and tell them have a good week. This is the last Wednesday night choir that you get off. So have a great, have a great Wednesday night off, and then we're starting up in February. Amen.